your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We're going to kind of live here today, or this afternoon, or at this time. And kind of kind of live in this chapter, I think. Well, I don't think. I know that's what we're going to do. So, um, for our lesson here this afternoon. Um, <clears throat> and as you, as you start in verse 1, we're going to actually pick up at the bottom, but I want to kind of bring you to where we're going to be. If you start in verse 1, it says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And then as it starts in verse 2, he starts to, to name groups and what you should teach them. So in verse 2, he says, teach the older men. And then in verse 3, he hits the older women. And then in verse 4, uh, he hits the younger women. Verse 6, he hits the younger men. And then as he gets down to verse 9, he talks about the slave-master relationship. And we'll pick up in verse 9 um, to get down to where I want to get to. But he's basically talking about the behavior and how each of those these different groups of people should behave and act toward one another um, in the Lord. And so verse 9, it says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them and not to talk back and not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted. And so the, the reason I wanted to stop right there for a second is because in my mind, this ends everything he said above. He's been talking to all these different groups of people. He's told the older men what to do, the younger men what to do, the, the younger women, all the old, young men, women, slave. He's told all these people what to do. Now, and, and it's so that they, this, again, so that they can be fully trusted. He told them why the whole time. And then we get to this so, in my version. I'm reading the NIV version. In the last half of verse 10, it says, so that in every way... They will make the teaching about God, and obviously the they in this context is the slaves. So I'm not trying to supersede and shoot it above to everyone, but I believe the concept we can pull from this can apply to anything that we've done above. But this specifically applies in this context, and we'll explain why in a second. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. That's what my version says. Now verse 11, 4, why do we need to make this teaching about God attractive? Here's why, 4, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. I think it's really funny if you go down to verse 15. He reminds you what he was trying to tell you back in verse 1. Go back up into verse 1. He said, however, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, which is going to be the following. Teach all of this stuff, and then go down to verse 15. Then these are the things you should teach. So he's reminding them. 
teach what I just taught you. Encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. And so I've just got a few things to bring out from these passages, nothing particular, but that, that, that phrasing there that said that they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, that word attractive to me, sounded kind of different. Now I know some of you all probably have different um, translations in that verse. Um, um, you know, my uh, New American Standards said, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of our Savior with with every in every respect. Um, New King James Version says, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior in all things. And so there's a little bit of a discrepancy here, and not discrepancy, but I thought that word that the NIV brought out, attractive, is very interesting. Um, have you ever thought about you living a godly life that that makes the teaching about God attractive to other people? Have you ever thought about that? That phrase. And it should. Why should it? Because verse 11, to those of us who are living these ways, see if the, the teach the slaves in verse 9 and the teach the young men and all these, you know, I, I assume these people to be, it's not just to teach any slave. It's you're teaching Christian slaves. We're teaching people who are following Christ. We're teaching people who are following God. That makes it attractive. Why? Why do we have to make it attractive? Because the graces of God has appeared that offer salvation to all people. Because we're the only people, ladies and gentlemen, in the entire world that has hope. And so the way we live our life should be attractive to other people without any hope. People that we know should wonder about us. You ever heard it said that we're a peculiar people? Right? I always thought that word was weird. Like, Because I think of peculiar like go to a fun house and look at a mirror and I look peculiar, you know? I look weird. Peculiar people. What is this grace that is offered our salvation? This whole chapter, in my opinion, is about behavior. <clears throat> but it all hinges, in my opinion, on verse 11, which is, if the grace of God didn't appear that offered salvation to all people, then none of the rest of it matters. But because it has, verse 12, it teaches us, this grace that has appeared to all people teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. If you go above and you read, and you read in verse 2, it says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, love and endurance. Those people don't need to be that way if they don't have a hope of salvation down in verse 11. They don't need to be that way. This, this hope is teaching them to say no to ungodliness and yes to living how he's just described. The, young, the, the, older, the older women need to be reverent in, a, in, in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. They don't need to live that way if there's no hope down at the bottom. 
But because there's that hope, it tells us to say no to ungodliness and to live godly lives. Therefore, they should live that way. You know, to urge the younger women to do what? To love their husbands and their children and to be self-controlled and pure, busy at home and to be kind and subject to their husbands so that no one, and so that no one will malign the God's word. Again, if you have a, a younger woman in this context that is not busy at home, doesn't love her husband, doesn't love her children, isn't reverent, it maligns God's word. It doesn't make it attractive. Something that's maligned, do you consider that attractive? Most of the time, not. And so living contrary to the way he's describing, what it does is it brings, we often say in the church sometimes, reproach or something like that on the cause of Christ. And that's because if you don't have that hope, that hope is what tells us to say no to ungodliness and yes to living this way. And so because of that, similarly, after the good's done with the young woman, similarly encourage young men to be self-controlled. And in everything, set them to be a good example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You know, again, when, when, our, when our teaching doesn't have integrity, when we have young men that aren't self-controlled, when we have um, um, speech that isn't sound, it, it doesn't create attractiveness to God's word. Then you get down here to the slaves, be subject to their masters and everything, and try to please them and not talk back to them and not steal from them. Can you imagine Christian slaves that are stealing and talking back to their masters all the time, and then they try to talk to them about God? That doesn't make it attractive or appealing. Does that make sense? And so because of this hope that we have, it causes us in verse 12 to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. And in my opinion, above here is where he told old, young men, women, slaves, how to live, at least partially, godly lives because of this hope. <clears throat> how long are we supposed to live these godly lives? Verse 13, while we wait, while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here's my question. Has the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ come back yet? If not, then we're probably supposed to still be living this way. It's pretty basic, I think. Who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I think this last part talks about our hearts. You know, we, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled. But it also, at the bottom, it's doing that so he can purify for himself a people. When he comes back and gathers his own, and we talked about some of that in, this morning, whether it's going to be in the air or not, whatever. One thing that we will be, according to this, is we will be a pure people that is coming to him. He's purifying us. He wants this. He wants us to be purified. Why? Because he doesn't want to have spotted people in his, in his kingdom. He's going to spend eternity with those people. You know what he wants? The best of the best. The one who's wanted to be there. That's what he wants. He wants the, wants the ones that, that, that his sacrifice meant so much to them that they were willing to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live, live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. That's the people he wants with him when he comes back. <clears throat> and then that last little phrase, eager to do what is good. Think about that phrase. You know, I've known, um, I think about faith and grace at nighttime sometimes. And um, they, um, they have toys thrown all over the floor. Probably never happens at your all's homes that have kids. But we had them. And um, I know they know what to do good. Like, they know to pick up the stuff. They're just not always eager to do it. In fact, they're almost never eager to do it. It's always like, you have to do it by this time, and then they do it five minutes after that time because we're suckers. And so, um, I don't think that's the kind of people necessarily all the way that God wants. I think he wants people that are eager to do good. What does that mean? If you think of the word eagerness to you, what, is that, what does that coloration come to you? It's, you? You want to do it. Like, you can't wait to do it. It's probably a better way to say it. And then verse 15, he concludes with, These then, what's these? All this stuff he's listed above, are things you should teach. Just like in verse 1. However, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So if in case you forgot from verse 1, I'm reminding you, teach this stuff. I'm a, I'm a real simpleton person. If, in this, if, in, if within 15 verses, God who wrote this through man said twice, teach this, this is what I'm going to teach, and then teach this again, it's probably important. I'm not that deep, but probably is important for us to learn. All right? Encourage and rebuke with all authority. <clears throat> and do not let anyone despise you. You know, if you go back up to verse 8, it says, And soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And you go back up a little higher. Verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure at home, to be busy at home, to be kind, be subject to their husbands, so that no one can malign the word of God. <clears throat> I think that when you end this chapter in verse 15, it says, do not let anyone despise you. I think if you're living an upright and godly life in the way that we're doing it above, the only people who can ever despise you are people who are going to be lying about you. Live a life that's worth, that's worth an advertisement. You know, we talked this morning a little bit about being an example. Everyone's an example, good or bad. Well, everyone also either is making God attractive to other people or they're not. We don't think of it that way a lot of times. We don't think of the way we live our life as... If someone else could peek into our life, would they find it attractive toward God? I just want to leave you with that kind of coloration because there are many here today that have already become Christians. Many here, that, some here tonight that are not. And if you, if you have anything that, if you need to come forward and become a Christian, it's a very simple process. You have to hear the word and believe it. 
You have to repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to be buried in baptism and rise to walk in newness of life. But if we've done that, and we're sitting in the audience and we maybe need to make our life a little more attractive to other peoples, then maybe we can make some changes. And so the point of this lesson this afternoon was really food for thought. It was really just to get us to think about how we can live upright and godly in this present age and to say no to worldly passions and why it's important. So if you can take anything from this lesson and, and if, you, if the congregation can do anything to help you in any of your needs spiritually, we ask you to come forward now as we stand and sing the song of invitation.